Welcome to the ICE South Branch podcast with me, your host, Nathaniel Pickett. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing a range of guests about the latest methods, projects and ideas in civil engineering. To find out more about the latest events in South Branch or about this podcast, follow us on Twitter at ICE underscore South Branch or search ICE South Branch on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to press the subscribe button and tell your family, friends and colleagues about this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the IC South Branch podcast. This episode, I'm joined by a self-proclaimed productive and innovative professional uh, who has worked up to the title of a project director And working in that role, he has gained the ability to build teams and lead them, inspiring them to lead high-quality end products. So, Tony, thank you for agreeing to the Thank you for that introduction, yeah. I don't know if it's so true, but yeah, thank you for that. I mean, mean, apparently it's what it says on my CV. It says on my CV, yeah, it must be right. And um, you work uh, for the same company I do, Ganford Trial. Yeah, that's correct been uh, recently employed by them following um, work I worked for NMCN and when Gallifer Try uh, bought us out so only been with Gallifer Try now for about five months now five months so, so new to the Gallifer Try family but not new to the water correct, industry correct yeah uh, and um, you come across as a project director and you're currently working on quite a big project Otterbourne yeah. yeah Otterbourne water treatment work so we're doing a 40 million pound water improvement program here which is phase two with another 15 million in phase three and a potential 100 million more in phase four Fantastic. so 150 million in total in the next three years so winding back a little bit more than three years starting off in chesterfield yeah uh, what is it that got you working in construction yeah okay so i finished my gcse so i'm 50 years old i don't know if i should say that or not but I was the first, um, the first year to do GCSEs from O levels, and so it was quite a quite a change for a lot of people then. So I then went to Chesterfield College, and I did a OND in civil engineering. So that started me down the construction route. Um, why I did it, I, I'm not really sure. I can't remember that. It's that long ago, but it was um, something I did, and I really, really enjoyed. So then at 18, um, I had to get a job. We, we came not, not from the best of backgrounds. My, my father was a milkman. We didn't have much money. Um, so we all started working. So I've got two brothers. Um, yeah. I've got an identical twin brother, actually, which is quite unusual, I suppose. So um, we all had to go to college. All, my, my twin brother had an apprenticeship. My elder brother started work at 18, two years at college. So we all were working straight away, really, from the age of 18. So I worked, my initial job was working in the refractory industry. Now, people, this is not for civil engineering, but that's cement kilns, glass furnaces, working on petrochem sites. So that was my introduction into construction as such, but not into traditional civil engineering, but more into... Like say building furnaces, repairs. I mean, I mean, the one, one wonderful thing about civil engineering is it is such a diverse thing yeah. that you, you sort of talk about it's not civils, but actually civil engineering affects quite a lot of parts of the industry. Of course, in, in its different ways. Yeah. So, so moving on from there, then uh, you started moving up the up the ladder. So well, a little bit, yeah. Work. So I, I became a project manager. I, I, I moved a couple of times in my early career, more to do with location than anything else. I, 
Um, my partner at the time went to Manchester, so I moved to Manchester, moved back to Chesterfield. Mm -hmm. So I became a project manager. And then, um, again, trying to think back a long time ago now, it was probably when I was about 25. Yeah. I took a career break and okay. went traveling for a year. So I just quit my job. Mm -hmm. um, we made some money on a house sale, so we had plenty of money in the bank. So we uh, went to Australia, New Zealand, the Cook Islands, America for a year. So awesome. that's when I then came back, and then that's when I moved into the water industry, and that's when I really started working in water and becoming uh, working for a tier two civil engineering company, a company yeah. called Galglass, who used to build concrete tanks, and that's when I really started getting involved in... Uh, in civil concrete structures as a project manager. The project manager. So, talking, well, we talked about a little bit before, big civil engineering project from working on these tanks. Now, you're down here in uh, in, in Winchester, just yeah. until Winchester, Otterbourne. Yeah. And, you, and part of Ant 7 is this big project here at Otterbourne. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that project, what it well, aims to deliver? Well, it's a water improvement uh, scheme on site here. So it's, it's just water quality improvement. So we've, we've put in, in a UV plant, additional contact tanks and an improvement on the high lift pumps. Mm. So they send water from this site into three district service reservoirs so Otterburn, Twyford and New Hill yep. so we're essentially getting the water it's quite an interesting site actually and it's a little bit different for me working down south so I probably don't sound southern in my <laughs> accent but working on this site down here so different chalk in the ground which yeah. is not, I'm not used to dealing with chalk the triple SI site yes. we're doing some borehole sites working under natural England as well so very bit different to what I'm used to working in and around Derbyshire and and I, I worked previously for the Seven Trent region yes. so in that area so so yeah so it's water quality improvements and a, an upgrade of the facilities on site and so that that's that initial 50 million pound project well yeah 40 well 40 million phase two another 15 million coming phase three which yeah. is a big part of that's um, backup generation HV power resilience as well so yes. but the phase two scheme bit now is doing the major civil work. So we're putting some big structures in the ground, lots of pipelines, quite a, a, a few big interconnections into the existing mains network mm -hmm. as well. So quite a bit of detailed engineering going into them. A part of what we do, uh, I do as a civil engineer and, and civil, uh, quite a lot of civil engineers aspire to, is to move into that project role, yeah. that project management role. What challenges have you come up within this project so far? Um, that you can talk about. Well, I, I don't, I don't watch a challenges in, as a project man or as a project director. Well, as a director, yeah. Well, the biggest problem I've had is I've taken this project on when it's halfway through. Yes. So I wouldn't say it was a failing project, but it certainly yeah. didn't have the leadership and direction a 40 or 50 million pound project's been or should have had from yes. the outset. So picking something up halfway through is always difficult. Mm -hmm. I'm learning every day about the scheme. And I probably should have been on this project a year, 18 months ago. So yes. the, the biggest challenge is taking something that's essentially failing yes. as a project delivery, which I'm not happy with. So 
straight away procurement programs weren't very good the program wasn't very good mm. there wasn't any collaborative planning on site which is i probably shouldn't be saying this as working for galliford try but i've had to completely change everything on site to change change how people are working and having responsibility and be be absolutely program focused and that's developing the culture within the site team the team yeah so we've got and again picking up a new team like I say, I'm new to the region, yeah. I'm new to the area, I'm travelling down, I'm yeah. staying down here four nights a week, so it's a bit of a, a change from the people I'm used to. So I didn't yeah. know anybody at all when I came down on the first first week, so Fantastic. just picking that up and trying to deliver it and turn it around has probably been the biggest challenge. I mean, I, th- I think uh, that's a story that's all through construction that a lot of people are working away, and yeah. it can be that challenge. No, it's a mass- one of the biggest problems we have is resource. I mean the reason there isn't anyone here is because they can't find a, a, a senior person to deliver this project. Yes. And, and again, no disrespect for the people who were on it before, but they weren't the right calibre of person to deliver such a big scheme. So it's, it's, it needs a different set of skills rather than uh, a, a, just a project manager. And, and that's no respect to yeah. being a project manager. I was one myself many, yeah. many years ago. So. And what's so, so talking about that set of skills? So, what is that different set of skills for someone aspiring to jump up from the project manager to that project? Well, I think that's level? well, yeah. Someone asked me what's the difference between a project manager and a project director, other than the title. And I, I always like say 20 grand a year, yeah, so. yeah. but it's it's the it's it's the helicopter role, I think. You've got to look beyond the detail, you can't get into detail. I think everyone goes into detail mm. and you can't you haven't got the time to go into detail you've got to look at that big picture mm. it's about your client it's about your stakeholders it's about managing expectations on site i spoke to we have a new general foreman started a young lad i say a young lad everyone's young is 24 25 and he's and he's amazed what i had to do a board presentation and then the next minute i'm moving barriers on site yes. so it's very diverse the role so how how have you found that because coming from your engineering background that you're doing those this those jobs uh, and those roles where you need to have attention to detail and yeah you absolutely start to dig into it and yeah I, I, it's, it's, it's about value it's about value i think you've got to look at projects of if you're in charge of a three million pound project you need yeah. to understand every little bit of that project or a yes. million pound project if you're in charge of 50 million you're not going to it's, not it's impossible well it's impossible but yeah. that's when you need to bring your team on and if you mm-hmm. and if you do micromanage then that takes away the team as well because the team can't do their role if i'm micromanaging them every day i've yes. got to give them the ability to do their jobs so it's and it's difficult to do that and i and i see like I've just promoted someone to to be my assistant project manager, but I yeah. can still see them. There's so much learning they need to do to make the next step to become a project manager because yeah. the way they talk to people, the way they talk to the team, it's it, it's it's experience. It's about dealing with people over a long long period of time. I mean, talking about setting up teams, you mentioned it in your CV. Yeah. Uh, and you have experience of setting up yeah. teams, not just in the UK, yeah, yeah, but around the world. The world. Yeah. So, um, so going back again into a bit of my past is yeah. I work for a tier two. So hopefully everyone knows what tier one, tier twos well, are. Please do explain it well, to people listening to the podcast who are okay. new to construction. Okay. So as a main contractor, you work for a client and you're a tier one. Then you employ a lot of tier two subcontractors. So your tier two subcontractors. So my, what I did for the last 
10 years before becoming a tier one so that was probably seven years ago now because yeah. I was a tier two when I was operational manager contracts manager engineering manager so what you do is you you, you totally look after a little tiny bit of the project yeah so I brought the a tier two to do what I used to do and it's mm-hmm. maybe five percent of the project um, of what I've got to deliver here yes. as a whole so but you've got lots of those five percent some two percent etc so yeah. that's the difference so they're generally subcontractors working on tractors working under the main contract yeah. which we set up so, so example of that is a uh, reinforced concrete yeah uh, frc frc supplier we're using at the minute is a tier yeah. two etc yeah yeah so yeah so i, I worked as a um setting up offices so we, i worked for the tier two company was a company called cst industries and we 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 were an American company, mm-hmm. but our biggest market was the Middle East, So, but they wanted to expand into the Middle East. So the first thing we did was set an office up in Dubai. So I used to go to Dubai every week, well, every month for a week, yes. which was quite nice. But then we headed up, the Dubai office was the Middle East office. Mm-hmm. I set an office up in Singapore, so I went to Singapore to set an office up in there. So we essentially franchised a office of what we did. So... I had to employ, again, going back quite a long time now, 15 years, so employed a project manager, an operations manager, a buyer. We had to get a, a warehouse to supply our products. So what we used yeah. to do is used to make the product in America, ship it to these global centers and then distribute it from there. So one of my jobs was going to these places and setting up these offices and interviewing people, setting people on. And which is really interesting when you different cultures, different nationalities, mm. completely different working in the Middle East compared to yeah. the UK. And you mentioned really before about giving opportunities to your team here yeah. in the UK. How how was it you were able to give opportunities to the teams you were setting up, and also that cultural difference of trying to get that cultural understand that cultural difference to give them the right opportunities. It's a bit different because those those officers were. New starts. They were absolutely yeah. new starts. So we'd we'd set it up, and then we'd get we'd, we'd generally employ a general manager who was a senior person, mm-hmm. and then but then it's just a matter of interviewing the team, and then just nurturing them, training them, training them into our procedures. It's like said I, I put it down. It's like a McDonald's. You you can put a McDonald's anywhere. Yeah. You buy the equipment you get the staff in the certain positions and that's what we were doing it was just a franchise we were just doing that all over the world yeah yeah so, so what, what country did you do you did it in so what we did it, so, what we do, so I'd set the office up in Dubai I set the office up in Singapore we set a drawing office up in India um, we ended up doing one in in Chennai in yeah. Vietnam but oh, I, at wow. that point I'd gone past that I was doing something else for the business for that period of time but this, they yeah. used the same the same model so it's all about procedure process systems following the same systems and procedures in each of the the offices but obviously different cultures different ways of working different hours of working mm. etc and have you found the skills you learned from that especially dealing with different cultures coming into projects back in the uk where we have different no. problems that helped at all <laughs> well not really it, it was really i mean we I, when we spoke before about we did a speed interview in in yeah. Dubai and you couldn't get away with it in the UK it was just we <laughs> we had we were working for an American company yeah in Dubai we were offering brilliant money 
we wanted a project manager. We had thousands of applicants for it. We whittled them down to 30. We then did speed interviewing because we just didn't know what we were going to get. So we just set up in a hotel. I had my receptionist at the reception of the hotel Mm -hmm. and we gave everyone five minutes to pitch themselves to us for a job earning $100,000 a year for these people, which was was life-changing for these people. It was phenomenal. And if they didn't have a tie, we wouldn't even let them in and things yeah. like that so there's just no employment law no legislation you could do whatever you liked over in Dubai so if you didn't like someone one morning you just sack them wow. just, just don't like what you're doing don't like what you're saying sack go and, and, it, and it was the problem you have was just managing that team and, and it's, it's well paid it's well rewarded but again it's a difficult it's a completely different scenario than working in the UK it's, it's, driving, it's a high performance team in many ways but there's also a cut for it nature if they don't, oh, oh, if they don't fit with the, yeah. the culture yeah. of the leader I guess and uh, the, big, the big problem I, the pr- big problem I had with, with, with those positions as well is we'd employ a general manager or a managing director and, the, and they were as senior in the business as me and in more cases more yeah. senior because these guys and again I, can't, I don't know exactly what anyone's earning, but they're on a quarter of a million dollars a year. Yeah. They're big hitters, real big hitters, earning hundreds Crazy. of thousands of pounds worth of bonuses. They were the real key people within our organ, sales-driven, sales-focused. Yeah. So, but then to make sure we do things properly and to make sure processes is right, and mm. I'd get health and safety was just do minimum legal requirement. Yeah. rather than doing anything else and it's a fight sometimes I had to try and rein that back to make sure we were doing things properly did you ever, did you ever get in trouble for no, health and safety? I, no, well, I, well I did with one particular boss we had many arguments over stuff and that's where I, you, you remember things minimum legal requirement he kept saying to me yeah. don't spend any money on health and safety so that's what you have to do sometimes so yeah. it's um, it, it met the culture and met the market and if and if we did anything different we yes. wouldn't be successful because we wouldn't compete because it's price so price driven so really i was uncomfortable in a I, I, there's there's one story that i was building some tanks in in saudi arabia yes and actually a saudi prince was there was, i was in front of about 600 people and he was telling everyone to do something a certain way and i, I stood up to him and said no and we can't do it this way. And this guy had never have, ever in his life had been stood up to before. And it's he couldn't believe, business. oh, risky business, yeah. And, but they were doing things so unsafely that yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't turn a blind, I couldn't do it any longer. So we had a bit of an argument in front of 600 people. And, and apparently that, that, no one had ever spoken up to him like that ever before. So he was, a, he was a, on the Saudi royal family. He was quite, he was three or four low down, but he was a Saudi prince, yeah. Still had some weight. He did, yeah. So, and that was an interesting project because we were drilling for oil, uh, sorry, drilling for water. Yes. And we actually went past the oil seams to get to the water because the water was more expensive than oil. And that was probably 15 years ago in Saudi Arabia in the middle of the desert. That's so, interesting. Yeah. And you would have, you would have thought actually that you know, globally, oil seems yeah. to be more Yeah, well, so it was a project to get water, So, because this was in Riyadh, and there's just a water shortage, so it's, it, for people who, who don't know Saudi Arabia, it's right in the middle of Saudi Arabia, so what, where they get water from, they, they get it from the coast, they desalinate it, and yes. they, they ship it and pump it internally, 
so they wanted to be self-sufficient so they were they were boreholes again a long time ago but i think they were drilling three kilometers down to get to water and we were then providing the tanks and 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 covers and a little bit of pumps etc to to store all the water once it was pumped so some big projects yeah that was interesting yeah massive tanks yeah Uh, yeah yeah absolutely so uh, no that's um that's that's quite interesting uh, quite an interesting look across the career. Yeah, interesting. So from tier one, yeah, doing quite specialised to being a, a big project. Um, well, big projects in the UK, 150 million yeah. substantial project in the UK. Yeah. And, and, and now with the Gallifrey Tri family. Yeah. Uh, and enjoying it. Yeah, loving it. Enjoying it and, and building building a, a great team around you. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because some really good people working different regions. Gallifrey Tri is a great company. I'm really impressed with the culture, with how we work, mm. um, the work ethic. You, you mentioned when you came here, the guys are still here. We're, we're at six o'clock at night. And yeah. We should be saying this, but everyone's working hard. We've, we've got a lot to do in a short space of time and everyone's really stepping up. So the team's I've got a really good team here now, yeah. So before we fully conclude this podcast, uh, <laughs> let's, let's wind back to, yeah. back to when you, you're just setting out, 18, you need to get your job. Yeah. What advice did you give yourself day one? Day one. Doors? Uh, uh, the, if I look back at life, I would say the only thing I would should do differently is work for myself, have the ability to work for me rather yeah. than for someone else. I've always worked for companies rather than myself. So um, it just I think when you get a little bit older, you want a little bit more flexibility and you want a little bit more freedom in your... Mm-hmm. In your career, and I think when you're working for the big boys, you you kind of limit. You are. It's not nine to five. I work a lot longer hours than that. So, but that's something I would say. Just try and do something where you can potentially make yourself your own niche to do something a bit differently. And yeah, I think that's the one thing I'd like to. Again, I go back to to where I started from. I wanted to become an architect. That was what I really wanted. But my circumstances didn't let me do that because yeah. I needed to work, I needed to earn money. Mm. But then that kind of comes, that falls back on itself where after about 10 years, I was probably earning more money than I would have done being an architect because yeah. I was doing very well working all over the world, fantastic experiences, travelled the world mm. through work. So I can't have any regrets on that, but now I'd rather be that architect so yeah. I could be a little bit more flexible and I've been charging my own destiny a little bit more. I mean, one more question, what opportunities do you think there are within the industry, I mean, the digitisation of industry and yeah. innovations? What yeah, absolutely. I'm pre- yeah, I think industry? it's fantastic. And, and again, I'm a bit old and the young people are coming through, like yourself, and yeah. I see a lot of real... I mean, we've got a young engineer who's, who's what, 21, 22 on this side, and his abilities are phenomenal. I look at yeah. him and I think, wow, there's a skill shortage. There's not for that young man. He's, yeah. he's phenomenal. He's the, the world's his oyster. But what you've got to do is grab the digitalization, start bringing it in. Yeah. But there's, there's always a trade-off between is it beneficial on price? Because, again, our industry, it's price, price, price. Yeah. No one's got enough money. The water authorities don't have enough money. There's not enough money to do the jobs properly. Never yes. mind bringing your digitalization, bringing all these really nice, good things, but yeah. it, they still come at a cost. It's not business as usual just yet. 
and we need to make sure we do make it business as usual. Obviously, we're bringing BIM in. We are doing all those good things, but there's, there's, it, there's, there's, always there's, more there's, a, there's a cut-off there with if it's in a million pound, two million, three million pound job, you can't spend 50, no. 60,000 pounds on your, on your BIM stuff without it affecting your bottom line, and it is bottom line still. So it's, it's some of these big projects taking the opportunity to harness technology uh, yeah. to to develop it yeah. and make it you know as, as with all things the more we use it the more the cost will go down. That agreed, yeah. Uh, and and it's got to be business as usual, and it so that can then yeah. feed into every project that we yeah. deliver. And, so and trickle down with that yeah. infrastructure already being in place. Yeah, agreed. But it's having the infrastructure. It's having the yeah. making sure you've got your good planners, your models right, everything's synchronised. All that good stuff does still take a, a resource for one. Have we got yeah. enough resource and the time and the money to do it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, Tony, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for oh, the pleasure podcast. and and sharing your experiences. Uh, it's really good to get a different perspective on the construction and civil engineering yeah. uh, as as we are a diverse institution. Thank you for listening to the ICE South Branch podcast with me, your host, Nathaniel Pickett. If you've enjoyed this podcast, press the subscribe button and don't forget to tell your family, friends and work colleagues about this podcast. To be updated about the latest happenings in the ICE South Branch area, you can follow us on Twitter by searching at ICE underscore South Branch or searching ICE South Branch on LinkedIn. This podcast has been delivered to you by ICE South Branch Committee.